Welcome to the Ponder New Podcast. I'm Pastor Rob Myalis. And uh, excited for uh, today, we're continuing with our stories of Joseph. And uh, finally, the story starts to turn around and it's going to get a little bit better for Joseph. We've had three weeks of kind of uh, going downhill and now finally we're going to go back uphill. But some real questions about what does it mean that God saves us? What is God ultimately concerned with? And how we overcome challenges and then after sort of the final trumpet, uh, a little bit just of an additional note. Here we go. Without further ado. I closed my eyes, drew back the curtain to see for certain what I thought I knew. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, as are the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. After them, there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land. The plenty will no longer be known in the land because of the famine that will follow, for it will be very grievous. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a man who is discerning and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plenteous years. Let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and lay up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to befall the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the famine. The proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find anyone else like this, one in whom is the Spirit of God? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only with regard to the throne will I be greater than you. Has Joseph been saved? You know the question you've been asked by street preachers at some point in your life, or even pastors in a church, maybe when you visited a place, maybe in the church you grew up, maybe at a funeral. Maybe it's some rally, some revival. Have you been saved? The idea being that you are destined without intervention for damnation in hell, and you need Jesus Christ to have intervened and to have accepted that intervention by acknowledging Christ, welcoming in, praying often certain prayers, scripted prayers to uh, accept Jesus as your Savior. And I ask this because Joseph, it doesn't seem here, is saved. 
or even that God is necessarily working towards this. I'm not simply bringing up the issue that Joseph exists before Jesus and what do we make of people in the Old Testament who live before Jesus and whether they're saved or something like this. I'll, I'll save that for a discussion on Romans uh, another day. What I want to bring up is that so often when people think about the saving work of Jesus Christ or the saving work of God, it often is put in terms of the afterlife, in terms of heaven and hell. And while we're going to get there ultimately, in this story, God is intervening, God is showing up, God is doing a new thing, and that new thing is that God has sent Pharaoh a dream, two dreams, two unsettling dreams that Pharaoh cannot interpret, and he needs this uh, wayward Hebrew prisoner to interpret for him. And then this Hebrew prisoner says, yes, this is indeed a message of the Lord. And furthermore, you need now to save up your grain in these years of plenty. So there will not be starvation in those other years. Joseph here acts in a way that will allow for thousands, maybe tens of thousands, however big the population of the world was in that region back then to survive a terrible famine that is years off, but will be there all too soon. God is showing in this story a concern for the material well-being of people. God is acting in this story, not simply dealing with hell the afterlife or punishment or eternal reward in heaven. That's just not in the framework here, yet God is still acting. So uh, kind of what do we make of this? Well, oftentimes in American Christianity, you sort of see this split happening. Um, And it mirrors other political... There's a whole way in which this split plays itself out along so many levels. But you often get uh, one strand of American Christianity that really wants to emphasize... Um, salvation as um, intervention from hell. And and that's really what it means to be saved. Um, And in this sense, you know, once you've accepted Jesus Christ, you know that you're not going to hell and you're going to heaven to be with with Jesus. And, And I think that there is obviously scriptural warrant for a profound sense that Jesus Christ is the victor over the dead and that uh, the forces of evil have um, been defeated by him and because of that that we too will live forever and we can, or even though we die, we shall be resurrected and live forever and we can live then without fear and we can live in joy knowing again that um, we have nothing to fear when we die. But I think there is a way in which that's not fair to Scripture because Scripture includes lots of other times when God is acting and God seems particularly to care about simply our earthly material well-being. On the other hand, there uh, is often or there have been movements of Christianity, uh, 1800s, 1900s today, that are so 
uh, turned off, so um, not in that school of thought, that they tend to have a truly just-for-this-world Christianity or just-for-this-world faith, where the point of all of this religion is simply to make people's lives better here on earth. Right, that what doesn't matter is sort of this cosmology or sort of mumbo jumbo about whatever happens after we die. What really matters is that Jesus came and Jesus taught a way of life, revealed God's salvation for us, that we can then help make this world a better place, and a real focus on 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 this world. And so I'm. I'm curious what your experience has been. Have you uh, been more in churches that have sort of really leaned heavily into sort of an otherworldly salvation? Or have you been involved in churches that really focus on sort of the material needs of, of people and the ways in which, again, we're called to act for justice or uh, acts of charity? My sense is uh, that if we're really fair to the Bible, we're going to see um, and that uh, both of these are of concerns to God, um, that God uh, does care about how uh, humans live on earth, um, and that um, ultimately Christ has come to make all things new. One of the ways that uh, Martin Luther talked about this was the two hands of God. And he said, look, on the, the one hand, there's a hand uh, of God that is just working in civil society to make life good. Um, so you, in this case, um, God works through Pharaoh and his chief sort of regent here, uh, Joseph, to improve the lives of countless people. And it turns out that good governance, um, good laws can, can make a profound uh, difference in, in the lives of people. And the way in which a society organizes its resources can, can have a tremendous impact on, on the lives of, of people. And that God cares about this. Uh, on the other hand, uh, Luther then talked about another hand, and, uh, and that hand was is the hand that is involved in the long-term project of changing the human heart. Not just changing the laws, but really, truly changing the, the human heart, making us, transforming us into um, not just uh, good neighbors, but, but most fundamentally uh, having us reborn in Christ's image. And, and that's the work uh, that Luther said properly was the work of the church. In some ways, this has been called a two kingdoms theology. Uh, I, I like the two hands theology because it makes it clear that they sort of have to work uh, together. And um, so I'm, I'm just curious again, um, yeah, for your re reflection on this and, and how you sort of see sort of God then uh, working uh, both in a, in a civil society to sort of bring about laws and then through the work of the Word and the church to really transform our hearts. And if you think about the story of Joseph, Joseph here is going to have to work in civil society for the Pharaoh and sort of bring about through administration and wisdom a better outcome for, for people's lives here on earth. 
but yet the arc of the story is also going to be about Joseph's heart and the reconciliation and his capacity to forgive his brothers, something that is not born out of the law, but is really born out of a recognition of God's presence and God's mercy in his lives. Uh, truthfully, we um, we need both of of these, right? We need um, we need laws, we need civil society, uh, we need to find ways to to make our, our neighborhood better, to make a healthy community. But we also, again, need this long, slow work of the human heart. And to me, if I want to sort of sew this uh, back together, I think as Christians we need to be. Um, really cautious about a theology where Jesus has come to sort of pluck us out of the earth and sort of take us away to heaven. Uh, because it turns out that really, as you keep delving more into Scripture, you see that in the end, um, th- these hands of God come n- not sort of further apart, but come together as heaven comes back to earth. That's really the vision um, in in the book finally of Revelation and, and I do a longer thing on the whole New Testament, but of this the sense of God reclaiming Earth for for God's purposes, um, this this project again of the renewal of the human heart will ultimately be transformed into the renewal of all things as the New Jerusalem in the book of Revelation, the new heaven and earth come down to to us. So again, in the in the end, um, we are given a a new body in heaven, but also a new and right spirit, the spirit of Christ, and and at that point there is this uh, re- total renewal of creation, and really the finally the integrity that you and I desire, the right relationship with ourselves, most fundamentally with God, and then with our neighbor, and then with all creation. I realized that I was sort of pushing buttons with how I started the podcast. But I really want to get and have us think about these sort of these two hands of God and the way in which we want to acknowledge that God is at work in this world for the material well-being of people. But ultimately, God is, is also going to, to transform the human heart and ultimately all of creation. And that ultimately in Jesus Christ, the eternal and the temporal, heaven and earth, body and soul, they all meet in the full integrity that ultimately is offered to us. So, but let's um, move on before I decide I need to re-record that part of the podcast. Um, what I want to talk about now is adversity and challenge and, and how you um, respond to challenge and adversity in your life. So, uh, you know, some people, it's like when problems come, they kind of turtle, uh, you know, like they get real defensive. Other people ostrich, try to ignore it. Other people go sort of like honey badger, you know, like ready to fight. Um, you know, sort of all sorts of ways in which we respond to, to adversity. And, you know, there may be an in, initial reaction, but hopefully as we grow older, we can develop some some other strategies, or even just be aware of what our, our pattern is in, in times of crisis, um, to be aware that others in our family may have a different response, um, and then sort of thinking and working through uh, that. Joseph today has a great challenge that is set before him. Um, he's going to be given responsibility for all the grain in Egypt. And if you think about, um, that's just a huge challenge. I mean, 
the Egyptian Nile Delta has always been one of the most fertile sort of places in the world because the, the floods every year bring new minerals from the, the mountains um, further to the south. And so you, you just have this totally productive farmland, um, and, and Joseph's now in charge of it all. And then he knows after that he's going to have to watch over it as it's depleted. Right? Literally now thousands, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of lives are dependent on his administration of this. So what a challenge. Furthermore, he's not, he's doing so as an outsider. He, uh, I mean, we don't know exactly what language people spoke at what point, but it's unlikely that he would have spoken uh, the same language uh, in his birth language as, as the Egyptians. He probably spoke, you know, some form of a language called Ugaric or maybe Sumerian, who knows, but it probably wasn't Egyptian. So, so again, he's maybe speaking his second, if not third language now, and, and um, probably with a foreign accent no matter what because he learned it as an older person. And so he's an outsider now having to tell these Egyptian officials, no, you need to, you know, we need to set this price for grain this year because we need to do this, etc. What an incredible challenge. So when it comes to challenges in our life, what allows us to, to work through and to overcome them? Well, I would like to offer that um, we, we really need stories of, of resilience and narrative of overcoming challenge. One of the things that uh, we work on in our house, especially with our children, um, is, is sort of how we tell our story. Because sometimes it can be really easy. We want to avoid sort of challenge and defeat. We only talk about the positives. But if we do that, then when life's obstacles eventually come and all we have is a story of sort of rainbows and Skittles, um, you know, and beer and lollipops or something, like we don't, it, it doesn't work. On the other hand, um, it's really easy, and I would say especially for adolescent minds, but for all people, to sort of have a really negative narrative, like, this sucks, this stinks, this didn't go right, you know, this was bad, I don't have any friends in my classes, blah, 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 right? And if we only have a narrative of negativity, then whenever challenges come, it's just like, oh yeah, one more thing, one more thing, not even worth kind of going into. But what really produces resilience is when you have a narrative that you acknowledge both the good and the bad. And then you can sort of show how um, you overcame something. You worked through it. Perhaps at the very least that they sometimes go hand in hand, but that you worked through it. And that can give one the confidence. I would say the job of the church, in fact, and when it comes to children and youth and, and really all people, is to help us develop a narrative of faithful um, resilience. And what I mean is not just a story where like, okay, there was bad and then there was good, but to sort of begin to sense how, how then God was both with us in the hard times and also moving us through then to the good times, right? And, then, and that if we can have that profound sense of God with us, uh, in the tough times, moving us into the, the better times, whenever then the bad times come, because they're inevitable, that we again have this narrative in our mind that says, hey, you know, last time, you know, this happened to me, you know, this is what happened, and yeah, it was hard, but, you know, with, with a lot of prayer, support from my friends, some hard work, 
because most things in life are a combination of those three. <laughs> you know, I was able to get through it, right? Or, or by God's grace, I was really able to, to move ahead. And so I'm curious in your life, do you have a narrative or what are the parts of your story where you have a narrative of faithful resist, um, not resistance, but resilience, where you've been able to go through something hard and, and even in those times saw God at work um, and then pushing and then allowing you to move forward. That's what Joseph's story is, right? Joseph knows, hey, look, you know what I got? I became a slave, but I rose up in that house. I rose up so fast that, like, even even my master's wife wanted to sleep with me. But, like, I couldn't, right? I, I did the right thing, but, but then I got thrown in prison. But now suddenly these two people came along. I waited patiently, and, it, yeah, it was hard. It wasn't what I wanted, but I rose up in the prison, and then suddenly the prison officials trusted me. I interpreted these dreams, and now I'm out. Like, Joseph has two powerful stories, of times when things didn't go well, but God was with him and he got to the other side. That's what, again, the secret, I think, to real resilience in life is when we have these faithful resilience stories, these, these narratives of God working in our life through the tough times to get us to the good times. That is what allows us to face them. And so my curiosity is, have there been times in Joseph's life where you've had this, where you've had a setback, but you've seen God at work in your life to get you through that. You've, you've acknowledged even later the transformation that happened. Um, yeah, so what is your narrative of, of resilience, of, of sort of God leading you um, from, from through, through hard times into good times? Well, I think that's probably enough uh, pondering for today. And so uh, blessings on your ponderings. Thanks again for listening to the podcast and sharing it with others. It's been great to dig into God's Word, and my hope is that it really helps uh, you understand the Bible better, but also sense... um, yeah, the, the, the questions that people have asked over the centuries and, and are asking maybe today about these stories in the Bible and what they say to our lives and how God is at work in our lives, in our families, in our communities, in our churches, and in the world. In October in our church, we do a big pledge drive asking people to make commitments for the next uh, year to our church. And I know that many who listen to this podcast aren't necessarily members of our church, and so I wanted to extend to you um, an invite that if you would like to make a contribution to to our church to support the ministries, including the obviously the podcast, uh, that would be wonderful. Uh, this year we're having a special appeal to raise money for a new roof, complete with new solar panels. So we're excited about that. Um, again, thanks for thanks for listening. And if you have any questions about how you could give to St. Paul, uh, contact me or check out the church's website. Thanks so much. Bye.